0: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, M.D. Dr. Biteman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Biteman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Biteman, M.D.,
1: Welcome to CC with BB 2.0. Yes, connecting with coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Biteman, MD. If you wish to support us here at Connecting with Coincidence, please like and subscribe. on Because increasing our subscriber numbers increases our reach. And those of you watching us on YouTube, write us one of your coincidence stories, please. We will reply. Coincidences help to direct many of us on our life paths. At 7 a.m. one early morning, as an intern in San Francisco, I was bleary-eyed and barely awake and stumbled into the first meeting of our intern group. I sat down in an empty seat and soon felt a tap on my shoulder. A round-faced guy said, you are sitting in my seat. As I got up, he introduced himself. He said his name was Andy Weil. He nominated me to be the president of the intern group as the only candidate I was elected. Later that morning, I went to my first rotation. It was on neurology. The person assigned to learn with me was Andy Weil. We became good friends. He went on to become a world leader in integrative medicine. And Andy introduced me to today's guest, also a world leader in integrative medicine. Deepak Chopra is the founder of the Chopra Inst Foundation, a nonprofit entity for research on well being and humanitarianism. And Chopra, a modern day health company at the intersection of science and spirituality. He is a world renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and a personal transfer and personal transformation. Chopra is clinical professor of family medicine and public health at the University of California, San Francisco, San Diego, and serves as a senior scientist with the Gallup organization. He is the author of over 90 books translated into over 43 languages, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. For the last 30 years, Chopra has been at the forefront of the meditation revolution, and his 91st book, Total Meditation, With harmony books helps to achieve new dimensions of stress-free living and joyful living. Time Magazine has described Dr. Chopra as one of the top 100 heroes and icons of this century. He is the author of Synchro Destiny, which is about how to harness the power of coincidences. Welcome to the show, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Uh, Thank you very much for being here. Now, one of the great things about your book, Synchro Destiny, is your personal revelations about things that happened to you, starting when you were a child and your brother and his illness. Uh, But as time's gone on, you've had a lot of experiences with uh, synchronicity that have helped shape your life, kind of like the way we've just met uh, through Andy and those coincidences. Could you... Tell us one of your best stories about you and synchronicity. Yeah,
0: I'll tell you one of my best stories about synchronicity. So the year is 1985, and I am a fellow in endocrinology metabolism in Boston. Um, I have uh, done some training at Harvard, BU, Tufts University, I'm also a junior faculty member uh, at that time uh, at Tufts Medical School and I have been practicing meditation for a while and uh, a, um, a student at Harvard uh, uh, Business School uh, tells me that Maharishi Yogi, the person who founded the Transcendental Meditation Movement, is going to be in Washington D.C., and uh, that I might enjoy listening to the lecture. So I take a flight with my wife Rita. We leave our children in Boston, um, very young. One child is for six years; the other is uh, whatever you know, under twelve, with babysitters, <clears throat> and we go to Washington. <laughs> The conference is actually quite boring, so I didn't enjoy it at all, and uh, I decided in the middle of it uh, that I should leave, <clears throat> and so I signaled to my wife, Rita, we're going to leave, but I'm going to the men's room uh, first, and then as I come out, we'll just head out for the airport. So I come out of the men's room, and precisely at that moment, Maharishi Shogi, the person who brought meditation to the world at least in my eyes he brought it to the world you know massive scale you know talk about scaling meditation um so i'm coming out of the room and he's stepping out of the conference room to go to his room apparently the conference is over the boring conference so he sees me and i'm apparently the only indian in the crowd so you know he's indian i'm indian so he says how are you? I'm fine. He's come upstairs for a little while. Uh, let's talk. And I said I have to rush to the airport because I'm going back to Boston. He's gonna just come for a few minutes. One of the best parts
1: of that story is his picking you out, and yeah. you're coming out of the bathroom when he is kind of when he is passing by.
0: At the precise moment, it couldn't
1: have been 30 seconds earlier or later. I love those things because those 30 seconds make such a difference. And yet part of what he had to do was reach out to you. It's you can have these crossings, but unless somebody acts, nothing happens. That's true. And I wonder what made him act besides that you were both Indians there. And do you ever ask him?
0: Uh, yeah later but let me tell you what the story hasn't finished so I know so, I know so I, I let's keep going yes yeah. so, you know we go up and he asked me what I do for a living and i said i'm an endocrinologist i teach at various medical schools i have a starting a private practice etc cetera, etc cetera. and he said to me what is endocrinology and i said um, it's the study of hormones, and right now we're looking at hormones in the brain. This is, remember, uh, in the 70s, very few people knew about opioid receptors and brain chemistry, although it was emerging. So he said, what are you studying? I said, you know, these brain chemicals like uh, oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin and opiates. and." All. He said those molecules are not real. I was shocked. Okay, I'd never heard that. He said, they're just symbols of experience, uh, which was another shock. And he said, You should come with me and study consciousness. Wow. I said, um, I would love to do that, but I have a job. And, you know, my wife, Rita, said, So who's going to pay for the mortgage? Who's going to pay for the, for the schooling of the kids? And he thought for a few seconds, and, and you know, Rita, my wife, insisted she says where's the money going to come from for to pay for the mortgage and he said the money will come from wherever it is at the moment which is another thing i'd never heard of you know so yeah. It, yeah. my wife was impatient she said we have to go we are we are going to miss our flight so we actually we have babysitters so we left actually in, oh. a bit, in, in a bit of a you know hurry yeah because so I get to the airport and uh, we've missed our flight, you know, it was one of those Eastern flights, one of our flights from Boston to Washington, DC. And so we were waiting for the next flight. And I see a, a friend that I hadn't seen since medical school. And he's just passing by my gate. And he recognizes me. His name is Jerry, and uh, Jerry and, uh he gives me a book. He says, I thought you'll enjoy seeing this. And it's about Ayurveda and consciousness and all. This is a very small book, like maybe less than 100 pages. And we reminisce. And then he goes on his flight. He's going to Australia. I take my flight. The book is so small that I finished it in the flight to Boston. And as soon as we got off in Boston, I told my wife, Rita, I'm going back. She said, oh, uh, she said, why? Because I said, I, I have to study consciousness. Huh. She said, who's going to, uh, where's the money coming from? <laughs> I said, wherever it is at the moment. So <laughs> I went back. I went to the hotel. He was staying in a hotel. I asked to meet him and they said, he's busy now. He's, you know, he's met everybody and he's busy. He's one not available for another 24 hours. I said, Well, tell him I'm going to stay outside his room till he meets me. Oh, I'm not going to move. Unless he meets me. So, five hours later, I go up and I say, I want to study consciousness. And he says, Good, I'll introduce you to the best people and Vedantists, philosophers, and healers, and um, just take some time off. And he said, um, Thank you for listening to me. So, I had some time now to think about this. I wrote my first book, which was creating health and it didn't uh, actually, uh, nobody accepted the book for publication. So I self published it. Huh. And uh, I paid $5,000 to publish this book. It was called creating health, the mind body connection, but I now had 500 books with no way to sell them. So I was giving a talk at the Harvard Uh, divinity school, and there was a young woman there who was a theology student. And she said, how are you gonna sell these books? I said, I have no idea. So she said, give me a bunch. And I gave her, she took them on her bicycle to the Harvard Coupe, convinced the manager to put them in the storefront. Next day, some kid picks up the book, buys it for her mother as a birthday present. The mother is a literary agent, she calls me. She says, why don't you have a publisher? I said, I couldn't get one. She said, I'm a literary agent. I can get, how much did you pay for it? I said, $5,000, which is a lot of money in the 1980s, especially an endocrine fellow. So she said, I'll give you $5,000. I'll get the book published, Houghton Mifflin. The book becomes a national bestseller. I make a million dollars, which I've Ah. never paid, never Ah. made before, Ah. exactly a million dollars. So the money came from wherever it was. And next thing I start getting calls from Stephen Hawking's uh, editor, from Jackie Onassis saying, why don't you come and join a New York publishing house? And so I switched, I didn't, unfortunately, Jackie was with Doubleday. At that time, it was a separate company. I was uh, seduced by the idea of having Stephen Hawking's editor, so I went that way. And the rest is history. Wow. Wow.
1: Besides the going by by the Maharishi like that and the 30-second things, your friend walking by in the airport to hand you the book that you read on the plane that made you then turn around and your wife, where's the money coming from? And that you, with your determination, decided to sit outside his room until he was willing to see you so that's your decision making that's your sense of there's something here i need to be able to do and you did that then you wrote the book because you were thinking about it but then you get this heart this guy walking into the harvard coop and picking out the book and his mother's a literary agent i mean
0: wow yeah, well, well, this guy who picked up the book happened to be a meditator, and there was a lot of stuff about meditation in the book. Oh. So you know, there was, there's some kind of yeah, okay. there, there's a relationship there, and I, from then onwards, I began to study coincidence. and I actually feel if you're not experiencing coincidences every moment of your life, then you're not connected to pure consciousness which is the source of all the experience.
1: And that's where we're going to keep running around to today, Deepak, that source of consciousness and and how it happens and how coincidences can get us there. The Maharishi still, I'm back to that, you asked him later, how did he know to ask you right then?
0: I did and he thought that, you know, um, he had been told by my Harvard friend that I was studying neuroscience and he actually said to me, if you want to understand consciousness, then the brain is the last place you should look at because the brain itself is an experience of consciousness. Everything he said was so out of his world that I was compelled to listen. <laughs> Which is what's
1: happened with you now. You said, you've said so many things that are out of the world and people have started to
0: listen, have been listening. Yeah, I thought everything he said was totally crazy. And now I realize that I'm as crazy as I thought he was.
1: Well, one of the things that, uh, one of the ways that you and I have some similarities in thinking about coincidences is that they are clues to how reality works. Yes. Please talk about that because it's such an important concept.
0: Okay. So reality for you and me, since you're also a physician uh, by training, is look at a biological system right now, okay? Okay look at a human body, which has about 50 to 60 trillion cells, which is more than all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. A human body can think thoughts, play a piano, kill germs, remove toxins, and make a baby all at the same time. And whilst a human body does that, or any biological organism does that, any primate or mammal does that, your body is also tracking the movement of stars and planets as its biological rhythms seasonal rhythms, circadian rhythms, gravitational rhythms, lunar rhythms. We are a symphony of the total universe.
1: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful.
0: We are a symphony of the total universe. Every cell's activity coincides with every other cell's activity, right? How can a human body do all those things unless it's working synchronistically? So synchronistic means synchronous synchronized in time. Coincidence means coinciding all at once. So here's my body, okay, with 100 trillion cells or 60 trillion cells, the stomach is digesting food, the heart is pumping blood, the brain is sending signals to the body, the immune system is doing what it does, hormones are being self-regulated, all happening, coinciding, all synchronistic. So the nature of a biological system Is that every aspect of the system is, you know, we study medicine, we went the reductionist way. And so we thought, you know, little molecules and atoms produce the activity of the whole organism when it's the other way around. The whole organism actually works as a coinciding process, as a synchronistic process. And what we call an atom or a molecule is just a snapshot of activity in that synchronicity, which is your body, which is actually the synchronicity of the universe. You know, the universe we call it universe, one song. That's because we dance to it, even though we can't (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) We don't we can't hear the tune, but we're dancing good, right? So when you're plugged in, not plugged out, when you're plugged in, you're dancing the symphony of the cosmos. And if you're not plugged in, then you feel anxiety, you feel uh, resentment, anger, your ego mind takes over, you start to worry, you anticipate problems, you remember past failures, when all you have to know is, you're the dance of the universe. You know, Rumi, the great uh, poet said, You are the universe in ecstatic motion. And that's 100% true. 50% of the atoms in your body don't even come from the Milky Way galaxy. There are 2 trillion galaxies out there. And 50% of the atoms, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, come from other galaxies sucked into our galaxy by gravitational wind. And then the atoms have to be forged in the crucible of burning stars. And here we are on Zoom as a result of the conspiracy of the total universe, not just the Milky Way galaxy, all 2 trillion galaxies. So if you're not having coincidences, you've got a problem. Well, that, <laughs> we, we,
1: are, we are having coincidences. There's a coincidence of just you and I talking together. Uh there, there are these simultaneous things happening as you so beautifully described one of the f- wonderful things about your your book is that you gave me the experience of being part of something so much greater and it comes through in your words but it comes through in the feeling in the way you write it's uh, it's something else in addition it's the uh, the context i love your definition of context you have you provide a context for the experience of what you just described in your, in your writing. And I think it's one of the ways you've been able to make such a, a great impact on the world. I, I, my question has to do also with, with the coincidences you described with the Maharishi, with your friend walking by. Uh, and even with, yeah, a lot of people might be interested, some people might be interested in meditation, but having a mother be a literary agent again is one of your conspiracies of the improbable as you like to describe it how, how do those experiences which are more sequential tell us about how the universe works and how reality works
0: well, you said it earlier if you're plugged in then these are clues in many spiritual traditions um, they use different names for this process so you know um, uh, Christianity uses providence. Providence is, you know, will provide. Existence takes care of itself. Um, In the Bible, Jesus says, do not worry because the flowers are blooming on their own and so should you bloom, uh, Ah, you know, by uh yourself. So what spiritual traditions are saying is, that existence takes care of itself. Existence is self-regulating and self-organizing and self-evolving, um, and all we do is interfere with it. You know, <laughs> what did you do, to, to all we do? All we do is interfere with it. That's good. <laughs> so, you know, you did nothing uh, to become a fertilized ovum. Then from fertilized ovum, you did nothing to become a zygote or an embryo or a infant or a toddler. What are you doing right now to regulate your blood pressure or your heart rate variability or skin resistance or anything? So it's all happening simultaneously right now. Everything is happening simultaneously right now. All you can do is interfere with it. So if you let go and flow, as they said, all along, then the state of grace, God being on your side, Divine intelligence, a causal, non local, quantum mechanical interrelatedness, uh, superposition, synchronicity, coincidence, um, qualia entanglement, quantum entanglement, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing. Wow. Wow. One of the other phrases
1: you use, which I resonate with, is that the world is a mirror of your mind.
0: Correct. And the mind and the body and the world are synchronistically the projection of consciousness. So consciousness, not the mind. Consciousness is the source of the mind. So when when the mind is quiet, then you get to the source. And this is, by the way, you know, there's a chapter in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, chapter two, which is, um, uh, you know, the first book on yoga is written by a great sage, long time ago, we don't know how long ago he lived, but the first sentence of the first chapter is the, now the teaching of yoga begins. Then he defines yoga as the connection to the source of all experience, source of thoughts, source of feelings, emotions, sensations, perceptions. And he says, when we quieten the mind, we get to the source and then we realize that the body, mind, and the universe are actually projections of the self. The mind is the subjective experience of the self, but conditioned through culture, history, stories, linearity. The mind is the subjective experience of consciousness. The physical body and the world are the objective experience. And they're all the same process, because what we call the physical body is a perceptual activity in consciousness. And what we call the world is also a perceptual activity in consciousness, What we call the mind is a cognitive activity in consciousness. It's one process. Once we understand this, we shift our identity from the ego mind to the awareness in which we are all entangled. Not only entangled as fundamental particles, but entangled in experience. So right now, you, I, and everybody on this Zoom or whatever it is, we are entangled in experience. And we are actually affecting each other's frontal cortex. We are causing genes to get active. Epigenetics is behaving itself and you know, sculpting our brains together. So our brains right now are synchronistically entangled as a result of epigenetic activity in our frontal cortex. It's one activity, your brain, my brain right now is one activity and everybody listening to us too. So we forget this because we have the subject object split which is actually a very naive idea that there's me and there's the rest of the world because what I call me is one expression of the total universe. That is very clear
1: as you are describing it. Uh, And I think Using coincidence awareness can help people move along in the direction that you are describing. And for me, coincidences have been a, a step ladder into getting to higher consciousness, to be able to realize things that are more. And part of what I'm doing with the Coincidence Project is encouraging people to tell their stories so that they can be able to start the step ladder towards being able to understand what they're part of, that we're, we're all part of something that's the same. And we experience it from different perspectives, but it's all us in this. Yeah. How can how can we, we help people become aware of this way? Medi- One of the things you say so nicely about meditation is in between, in the gap between thoughts. I love that. In the gap between thoughts, you can get out into higher space. I think of Schumann resonance, which is oh, it's just all around us, and theta waves. As the, that, when we get to those state waves, we can get out of our minds into what's something more beyond us. As that, how can coincidences help people become aware and participate consciously in the greater awareness of which we all are a part?
0: Yeah, so this is where I personally make a distinction between belief and faith. So I believe, I say, I believe, I would say. I believe, I believe, yeah, okay. (laughs) Belief is a cover up for insecurity. So if I asked you, you know, do you believe in electricity? You'd say, that's a ridiculous question. I'm using it right now on Zoom, electricity. So I don't have to believe in it. It's my experience, right? If I asked you, do you believe in gravity? You'd say, it's my experience, you know, otherwise I'd fly off into the stratosphere. So belief does not require, you don't require belief in order to access truth, but you do require something called faith. And faith is the certainty of the invisible, without which the visible would not be possible. So the invisible is in the gap between thoughts, it's in the gap between every experience, it's what we call I am. Now it's every religion says that, you know, Moses asked the burning bush, what's your name god and god says i am that i am jesus says before abraham was i am you look at all the great spiritual traditions they say i am is fundamental reality before i am the Pakshokra, or before i'm sad or before i'm happy or before i'm feeling pleasure or before i'm feeling pain i am is the field of infinite possibilities It is already synchronistic. It is already coinciding. It is governing the symphony of the cosmos. And all you have to do is go beyond your conditioned identity as the body-mind to the source of all experience. In that stillness, introduce an intention, detach from it, and again, go back to the stillness. Because the stillness is fundamental. Everything else is an experience. And if you are in the stillness, then the experience will be synchronistic. So that is the very basis of I am that, you are that, all this is that, I am that, you are that, all this is that, I am that I am, and I am is God's language, everything else is a poor translation. (laughs) <laughs> and if you want, that's, by the way, that's a quote from Rumi, the great poet. Everything is a poor, poor translation. <laughs> the only translation that is really accurate is the experience of synchronicity. So when
1: somebody experiences a coincidence of synchronicity, some like the ones we have been describing.
0: It's an and- anonymous message from the divine. Whether <laughs> you want to call it the grand unified field, or, you know, the God that Abraham was talking to, it doesn't matter. It's the source of all experience. And how, how does a person here in three-dimensional reality
1: with very little faith in, be, in, the, in the invisible that makes the visible possible? How do, how do us chickens down here experiencing the awe of, the, of an amazing coincidences get to where you are Describing the reality of reality
0: is. Yeah. So there is one good word that I like to use, and that is kind of a. Like what? It's a sloppy word for most people, too sentimental. <laughs> it's called love. Oh, love, that one. Okay. Yeah. But, love, yeah. Is love not as a not as a mere sentiment, not as a mere emotion, but as the ultimate truth at the heart of creation, which is we are members of one body, we are members of one mind, and we are members of one consciousness. When you recognize that, then there's nothing to anticipate, nothing to regret. Be present in this moment, notice the clues and take advantage of the clues. So every coincidence is a clue for another coincidence, and that is a clue for another coincidence. pay attention number 1 to coincidences number 2 let go of your resentments against the world or other people because everybody is doing the best they can from their consciousness from their level of consciousness and so don't have resentments or grievances or this idea of i have to you know get even or whatever focus on empathy because when you have empathy you resonate with people compassion you have the desire to help people. And then, you know, once you have empathy and compassion, automatically you have joy. And then you have love, as I said, not as a sentiment, but love that leads to action. And the action is you do something for the whole entanglement. And for me, that, that seems very simple things. Pay attention to what's happening around you and what's happening inside your body affection let people know you you care for them appreciation be grateful and have a purpose and acceptance don't try to change anyone because it's perfect as it is
1: how do synchronicity coincidences help people find that that life purpose you just mentioned
0: yes yeah, so you know this is very important what we just because we As biological organisms, humans of course are exceptional, but every biological organism is goal driven. Every biological organism, everyone, yeah, yeah, is goal driven. Now, in other biological organisms, that's survival, that's safety, it's food, it's sex, it's uh, being, uh, you know, safe from danger. But we, as biological organisms, have many things, you know, besides safety and survival. We want love, we want belongingness, we want creative expression, we want insight, intuition, inspiration, we want creativity, we want higher vision, we want transcendence. So as we evolve, these these basic fundamental human aspirations, they start to grow. So there's a ladder for purpose as well. And I ask people if you had all the time in the world, all the money in the world, how would you express your unique talents and who would benefit? And then do it. This is what my teacher said. Do it. Don't worry about where the money will come from. Find your purpose, which is right now, what can you do to serve the quality of life on this planet, both for yourself, for others who you care for and for society at large.
1: And that's what I am doing with the Coincidence Project, Deepak. You Just- are- that's that. I mean, I look at this as a job. This is what I do. I love this job. And I'm, I'm so glad to be able to do it. Yeah. How, how do people find this, their purpose is part of what we're talking about. You're describing the, the goal-drivenness of human beings. You betcha. All kinds of goal-driven purposes that people have, including making a lot of money. And that's so driven in America to be able to do that, and that seems to be a distortion of the drive to find something and do it. Yeah. How, do, how do people find that role that you just described that I am trying to do, that you are definitely doing, of trying to help people with your what your talent is to find compassion and ultimately love and interconnectedness?
0: So there's a lot of answers to this, um, but the most fundamental answer is um, measure success, not just by money. Money is one aspect of success, but there's also uh, a beautiful quote from Bob Marley that I've never forgotten. He said, some people are so poor, all they have is money. Um, so if you are so poor that all you have is money, that's not a measure of success. Success is the progressive realization of worthy goals. It is the ability to love and have compassion. It is connecting to your source, which is I am, and it is always the faith in the invisible creator that you are. There's no observer to be found in the body because there's no observer in the body. The body itself is an observation in awareness. (laughs) (laughs) Once you recognize that, you switch to I am. And that's my formula, by the way. Anytime I see some situation, I switch to I am, which is the space between thought, which is also the space, by the way, between perception. The space between you and me is the same space right now as the space between thought. Okay, the space between breath, the space between thought, the space between perception, the space between sensation is the same. It's the space we call I am, and it's still. So as people are looking at us or watching us, all I would ask them is to be aware of that which is listening. Just right now, be aware of that which is listening. And then the still presence.
1: When I you're describing Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel painting with God and Adam, that's and it. that and that space between them, and I always thought of that as a synapse. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it is a synapse. It's that space between where everything is. It's where nothing.
0: Not it's nothing that's everything. And then, yeah, now, you raised a very important point. You know, people. I go to all these conferences where they talk about mind and body. Then you ask them. What is the mind? Nobody can tell you what the mind is. And where is the mind? Nobody can tell you that either. So, you know, a long time ago, Dan Siegel, who's a neuropsychiatrist who's a good friend of mine, he actually gave a very good definition of mind. He said huh. the mind is an embodied, the mind is an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information in an ecosystem of living beings. So beautiful. That, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I kind of modified that a little bit. From would, it. would you would you do that again, Deepak? It's, it should be a song. Uh, that, that, <laughs> now, that's It's not the original definition by Dan Siegel, but I kind of modified it. Well, well, well the, the Beatles songs have gotten modified. So go, go ahead. <laughs> so the mind is an embodied, embodied. It's in the body, not just in the brain, because in the brain it speaks in English with an Indian accent. But in the body, it only speaks as information and energy. So the mind is embodied and relational. It's an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information in an ecosystem of living beings. And so right now, that's what's happening. Our minds are entangled, they're embodied, they're relational, and they're on Zoom. (laughs) And I can feel some of your energy this
1: way. (laughs) There's no
0: location for this thing that we call the mind. Even the idea of location, linear location, is part of the conditioned mind. There's no such thing. It's artificial. We say... You know, Greenwich mean time. Why don't we say Botswana mean time? <laughs> Bangladesh mean time. latitude and longitude. I mean, we made it all up. Green, you know, Wall Street, uh, money. This is all constructs. There's no reality to any of this. The reality is only synchronicity, period.
1: What What a way that you are living and thinking. It's a, it's a wonderful model that I am now picking up some. Uh, that we, we do influence each other's vibrational activities in such activities as this. One of the problems that I've run, out, run into, I've got a, a new book uh, on coincidences that I, in which I try to make it somewhat scientific by categorizing various aspects of them. Um, and one of the things I've come up with is what be negative coincidences, that not all, not all coincidences work out positively for people. And there's usually the answer that maybe you wait enough time and it will come out well for you. And that's true sometimes. But sometimes it's really a long time before the negative consequences turn into something positive. I wonder if you could comment on the the possibility and reality of negative coincidences.
0: Well, it's very simple. Consciousness doesn't use thought. Consciousness... In its fundamental activity is just attention and intention that's it if I lift my hand up I first have to have the attention and the intention. Otherwise, no activity is possible, whatever you put attention on you will energize and whatever you intend will happen period. So if you worry about what can go wrong, then that's what is gonna happen. The negative coincidences are going to be uh, uh, propelled into manifestation because you are focusing on what can go wrong. On the other hand, and then that also produces anxiety and depression and hostility and anger, you get disconnected. But if you focus on what you want instead of what you don't want, And at the same time, focus on love, compassion, joy, empathy, equanimity, and some kind of service. I don't think you should have any negative coincidences. The negative coincidence is just focus in the wrong direction. And they are clues that you're in the wrong, you're moving in the wrong way. You're actually sacrificing yourself for your selfie, basically. See, when we identify with the body-mind, that's our selfie. When we identify with the self, the self is I am, which is the only constant factor in every experience. So, you know, if I asked you what happened to your childhood, it doesn't exist. It's an, it's an imagination. What happened to your teenage years? It's a dream. What happened to yesterday? It's a dream. What happens to these words by the time you hear them, they don't exist. So all the time we are actually behaving and acting in that which doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is timeless now. And if you are making choices in timeless now that move you into the direction of interconnectedness or entanglement through love, compassion, joy, equanimity, truth, goodness, harmony, and beauty, you're all set.
1: You are studying the interface between science and spirituality. Mm-hmm. where does synchronicity fall into that you've kind of alluded to that in a lot of different ways but just another yeah, way of so, it.
0: you know current science and you know i say this with deep uh, humility but current science including the best science you know including einstein's theories of general relativity and uh, you know special relativity including quantum mechanics all these sciences are based on what can only be called naive realism, which means science does not describe reality at all. It creates models of reality based on our interpretation of perceptual experiences. So the three what problems- that Creates,
1: based on perceptual experiences. It creates models of reality based on perceptual experiences. That's great. Continue, please.
0: Okay. So now, perceptual experiences are all magical lies because, you know, my, right now, my perceptual experience tells me the earth is flat. Nobody believes that anymore. My perceptual experience tells me that the ground I'm standing on is stationary. I know it's spinning at dizzying speeds and hurtling through space at thousands of miles now. My perceptual experience tells me that you are a three-dimensional solid body in space-time. Well, that's 1% of who you are. You're proportionately as void as intergalactic space. If I get see you as you really are, I'd see a huge emptiness with a few scattered dots and spots. And those scattered dots and spots are also made of emptiness. So emptiness of formlessness or invisible you is the only reality. Once you start, and that's I am, by the way, that's I am, before I am this or that. And what I am this or that is based on a perceptual experience, which is a magical lie. It's all a lie, okay? So now you can upgrade the illusion through synchronicity or you can downgrade it through fear, but it's still an illusion. You know, what's his name? Wittgenstein said, uh, our life is a dream. We are asleep. Once in a while, we wake up enough to know that we're dreaming. So who do we wake up to is the dreamer. The dreamer is invisible. And everything that's visible is a perceptual lie, but good enough. You know, like some people like to go to good movies. Some people <laughs> like to go to. Uh, yeah. Some people like to go to tragedies and horror films because they love heebie-jeebies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's entertaining. This it, this it, illusion, it, yes. It's enter- see the world as a play, and as a magical lie, and be in the world and not of it. That is synchronicity. You know, that is what. Thierry de Chardin, the great Christian theologian said, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. The spirit is invisible. So the scientific model is based on three false constructs. Number one, subject-object split. There's no such thing. Subject and object are one activity in the universe. Number two, a materialistic ontology, that matter is the fundamental reality of the universe, when no one's actually proved the existence of a substance called matter. We call matter is the name we give to our perceptual activity. That's all. Um, but you know, this perceptual activity is different in different species. What does the world look like to an insect with a hundred eyes? I can't guess. What does it sound to a bat that moves through the echo of ultrasound? I'm guessing. So there's no physical world out there. What we call the physical world is a human construct in human consciousness based on interpretation of perceptual activity. So naive realism, that includes all these great scientists, Einstein and all the great scientists, they believe in three things which are not true, an embodied observer, there's no such thing, the bodies in consciousness, subject-object split, which is artificial, and matter as the ontological primitive of the universe, which no one has proved that matter exists. It's These are useful constructs for creating technology, VR, augmented reality, Zoom, and all that, but they have nothing to do with reality. Science is a model. That's all it is for a limited amount of experience through perceptual activity as interpreted by human beings. So do not give too much Credibility to science, it's a good model for creating technology, but not for knowing who you are. Beautiful. You mentioned Tyler de Chardin.
1: Uh, I am attracted to his noosphere idea. Um, I believe that here on Earth, and this is a kind of a materialistic step in the direction you are talking about, that there is a mental atmosphere of which we are all a part, where we give in energy information into it, and we take energy and information from it. I call it the psychosphere, and this Andy helped me with that title, so psychosphere is, a, is our mental atmosphere of which we are all a part. And you mentioned so important, and I'm glad you do it, and I want to get it again, that if I'm thinking something, somebody else is already thinking about it. Yeah. That we that we are taking thoughts that are all around us and putting them in our mind without knowing that we are doing that. And that's, that's so important to know. And that's where I learned, that's what helped me with sim- simultaneous independent discoveries. That there have been so many of them and it's because people are thinking the same thoughts investigators who are reaching up and trying to figure out stuff and they're finding some of the same things and then reporting them funny thing is the person who reports it is usually not the first one to discover it it's that's that's the way it happens so what, what do you think about the noosphere the psychosphere as an intermediary energy information source for our ideas
0: Well, yeah, I take the idea of Teilhard D'Shadi a little further than he did. So there's the geosphere, which is the world of minerals and, you know, basically what we call matter. Then there's the biosphere, which is biological organisms. Then there's the psychosphere which you just spoke of, and then there's the theosphere, which is...
1: Theosphere. The theosphere. Ah, okay.
0: ah, Baruch Hashem, yes. <laughs> so then it, the, the biosphere, the geosphere, and the psychosphere are entangled modifications of the theosphere. <laughs> And also, by the way, there's a hymn in the Rig Veda, which says this very beautifully. It says, let noble thoughts come to me from every side. That's a hymn. So my thoughts are not my own. They already exist in the matrix of the psychosphere.
1: And that means to me that this conversation, for example, goes out into the psychosphere with its energy and information and becomes something that people can tune into without knowing they're tuning into it
0: 100 and the more we talk about it the more we expand our awareness of it the more it will happen so what you're doing is a very good project because we can only change that which we are aware of and right now we have a very small restricted idea of who we are we think of ourselves as skin encapsulated egos dragging a body, <laughs> and bone, or we think of us, we squeeze ourselves into the volume of a body in the span of a lifetime and we are terrorized by death, which is another false construct because that awareness doesn't die. Only the activity of awareness is born and it dies every second. Right now, my last thoughts are dead. Okay? the What happened 15 uh, seconds ago doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, what we need is not freedom from the unknown, we need freedom from the known, because the known is the prison of past conditioning. Freedom from the known, rather than freedom from the unknown. Yes, sir. The known is what has squeezed us into the idea that we are in a body, squeezed into the volume of a body in the span of a lifetime. That's a false construct.
1: There are, one of the people who is a coincidence ambassador in my group, um, has been able to tell me that she is an intergalactic ambassador,
0: She's and that she,
1: we all are. That's what I think. Um, we, well, if we, I'm out, and I'm finding other people who are saying I am an intergalactic ambassador, uh, and synchronicity people are in that direction, but don't know it. I but what is an
0: you. 50% of the atoms in your body come from other galaxies. We That's are stardust.
1: We are stardust. Yes. We are with stardust. Self-awareness.
0: Pardon? Sar- stardust with self awareness. <laughs> are we the universe? Are
1: we created so the universe could become aware of itself? Is that the work we got here?
0: Okay. Yeah, the universe wanted to know itself. And so it's, let's try this experiment called Homo sapiens.
1: That's us. That's us. What do we do do now with so much
0: apparent catastrophe happening in this world? Uh, I think it's very important right now for us to collectively harness the, the power of synchronicity to move in the direction of a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. We do not fight the darkness. We just bring in the light through these conversations. And how do we do that, Deepak? That's what I'm doing. Just what you just described. To be able to... They're just those stories that you talk about, let's make them... You know, let's pervade all of space-time with those stories. That's all That's all we need to do. And so I think that... Tell a story. There's someone who has another story. Exactly. Exactly.
1: That's what, that's yes. That's yes. That's yes. So our motto is, after you talk about the weather, tell a coincidence story. That's it. Well, you have gone a long way in this conversation with me to help that to happen. Thank
0: Thank you. I'd like to stay connected. Let's continue these conversations, bring them to the world, and let's be the change we want to see in the world. That's
1: us. Thank
0: you, and I will follow up with you on that. Thank you
1: very much, Deepak. Thank you.
0: This psychosphere is a mental atmosphere like a hollow grave of cosmic consciousness.